0: five four three two one let's go diary of a kidney warrior podcast in partnership with kidney care uk sharing faith knowledge hope and love hi and welcome to diary of a kidney warrior podcast my name is dean moore and i am a stage four kidney warrior this podcast is dedicated to encourage educate and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. My guest today from London, England, is Transplant Recipient Coordinator Treveen Wilson. Treveen explains the transplant recipient workup process and the tests involved in deciding whether a patient can proceed with being placed on the deceased donor waiting list or proceed for a living kidney donor transplant. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, Trevine? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. And welcome to the podcast. I'm very excited about today's interview because... There is so much that is involved in the transplant process. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of apprehension and fear that people might have not knowing what is going to happen and what's involved. So I'm really excited to be debunking some myths and also to give people the information to empower them. Going into the process to know what to do, to know what to expect, and hopefully make that process a lot less stressful. So, yes. So, so my opening question is the transplant recipient workout. What is the process? What's involved? Oh, what's involved? Okay. So,
1: patients at their end stage kidney disease, they would be under their nephrologist. So, when they're Kidney function, that's their EGFR, drops to um, say 20. By the time it gets to 20, um, they can be considered to start the transplant workup process. So we but we would normally get a referral when it gets to about 15, or the nephrologist thinks you're maybe about six months away from needing dialysis. So Me as a transplant coordinator, myself as a transplant coordinator, I will get a referral from the nephrologist to say, this patient is suitable for transplantation, can you start the process? So when I get that referral, so initially what I will do is I will um, contact the patient, introduce myself and my role, and then I will discuss about all the, the tests that's going to be involved. So in regards to the transplant workup test, we will need, I'll start off with the blood test. So there's um, some blood tests that we will require initially. So these are your your blood group. We need to know what blood group you are. We need to know your tissue type. So your tissue typing is your genetics to see how you would match against a donor. Um, We will also need to um, screen you for hepatitis B, C, and also um, we screen you to see if you've previously had the chicken pox. If you haven't, if you haven't had the virus, um, we will strongly recommend that you get the vaccination prior to transplantation because it's a live vaccine and you would not be able to have it post transplant. Oh. So so you'll be encouraged to have that done. It's the same with the hepatitis B as well. If you need vaccination, you would need to have it done prior to transplantation.
0: So any form of live vaccination wouldn't be suitable post transplant.
1: No, no, you wouldn't. And that's something that's also discussed post transplant as well because you know some people um If they want to travel, there's certain countries you may need to go to and you need to have a certain vaccine and their live vaccine. So that's something that would need to actually be discussed with the post-transplant team before you consider traveling to certain countries that you need vaccination. We also check virology such as um, syphilis, toxoplasma and HTLV. So. Um, and also CMV virus. So these are your main blood tests that we will check initially when you start the process. So this can be either done if you're already on dialysis, we can just request these bloods from your dialysis unit. If you haven't started dialysis as yet, when you do come and visit your nephrology appointment, then you can have this done there. There is other blood tests that we consider, such as. Um, your thrombophilia screen but again it depends on your medical um, background it's not a mandatory blood test that one to have but it might be something that you may need to have done once we've got the blood test so there's a process that we go through so you could be invited you should you will be invited to a pre-transplant education session so every recipient needs to be educated about the transplant process So there they get to meet um, some of the transplant team and you have speakers um, from the living donor team who will discuss about living donation. you will have um, a surgeon who will discuss about the operation itself. You will also have a pharmacist who will, discuss about the post-transplant medications that you will be on for the duration of the time the graft lasts. So like your immunosuppressant medications that you will need to take. You will also have someone from the transplant ward who will discuss about what to expect when you arrive um, on the transplant ward and, you know, the care that you will receive and, you know, The process of what will be monitored and the pre and post op care of transplantation. You will also have someone from the post transplant team who will discuss um, about your follow ups after transplantation because post transplant, you're seen um, quite frequently for um, a few months just to make sure that, you know, your bloods are uh, okay, your kidney is doing the job it's supposed to do. Your wound is healing as it's supposed to you know checking for any complications, so early intervention can um you know prevent the graft from rejection. You will also um have a patient um expert who will discuss about their journey and their experience of um transplantation so there is a variety of different speciality that come together in this education session and do a, a full. It's like it's it's formal, but it's informal as well because you know we want you to ask all your questions. This is the time that you can throw your questions, your queries out there about um, transplantation because you know a lot of the times we have, as you said, we have these burning unknowns, and you have. Everyone from the team there. So this that would be the perfect opportunity to ask these questions. Because myself as a um transplant coordinator, I may not be able to fully answer all the questions regarding your medication. And then, you know, the pharmacist will be there. So that would be your perfect opportunity to have that in-depth discussion about your medication, even though I'm on the wall you will be taught about your medication, but you know. It gives you an understanding going into transplantation. The next thing we will check is you all need to have a chest X-ray and an ECG. So we have these patients, we call them non-complex and complex recipients. So your non-complex recipients would be, say, someone under the age of 50. It would be their first transplant. They don't have any significant underlying medical issues. And they may be pre-dialysis or been on dialysis for less than three years. So we, we will categorize those as our, our non-complex recipients. And then you have your complex recipients who would be over the age of 50. They've been on dialysis for more than three years. They've got diabetes or hypertension. They may have peripheral vascular disease and they've got significant underlying um, health issues. So that is important when we're ordering certain tests, because if you're non-complex, not all the workup tests would be relevant for you. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So, for instance, we do um, imaging. We will check your iliac um, arteries and veins. So for your non-complex patients, that may not be necessary.
0: So when you say imaging, is that a ray or ultrasound? It's a, scan. It's a scan.
1: scan. So because your kidney, your new kidney, will be implanted at the front of your abdomen, towards the side, I should say. And they will use your... Um, Iliac artery and vein to plumb in the new transplanted kidney. So, what they're checking with this scan is um, there's no calcification um, in, and there's good blood flow going to the leg because that's where the vein and the artery is located. So, they need to make sure good blood flow. So, if they do the plumbing, there would still be good blood flow going to the leg. Right. As I said, if you've had a previous transplant, you could have built up calcification in these arteries and veins. And when so, you say
0: calcification, do you mean like a hardening?
1: Yes. So they will need to make sure that these veins and arteries is patent. That's what they're looking for. Because if you've had a previous transplant and... So you had it on, it was located on the right. Um, and you needed another transplant um, because, you know, this transplant has failed. So, you know, you'll be worked up for another transplant. They will look to see if they can actually go on the, the other side. So it will be on the, the left. So vice versa, where there's good veins, that's where they would, they would implant the, uh, the new kidney. Again, we do cardiovascular tests, so not everyone would be suitable for our echocardiogram. So it's only if there's any um, clinical suspicion of, say, valve lesions, or cardiac failure, or um, you know, peripheral effusion. So if there's any cardiac issue, then the um, the surgeon or the nephrologist thinks that you know this test is required then yes, you will have this done. We also do um, myocardial perfusion scan. It's a stress test where they put your heart under stress to see how it will react. Um, and again, this is done for your um, complex patients. So your non-complex patients would not necessarily need to have this test done, but your complex patients would
0: so rewinding slightly what is an echocardiogram
1: so it's like a scan of your heart right yeah so you would have this done in the cardiology department it's like a scan day and they use this scan machine and scan your heart to see how it works but you know that's a bit technical for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um yeah so they do that one um the stress test, the myocardial um, perfusion scan that I was um, just talking about, that one is a bit more um, invasive because they put in your heart on the stress and see how you cope with that one. If you are unable to um, tolerate that one, then you would be referred to the cardiologist. And there's another stress test, it's called a stress echo that they would do. And I think that one they put you you have to go on like a treadmill and then you get monitored and they put your heart under some stress that way. But with the myocardial perfusion scan, they use um like a, a dye, which is injected into your veins and pumps up your heart, like races it. So that scan is books for your non-complex patients, um, as previously um discussed. And then Okay, one thing I have missed. We do encourage everyone to have the cancer screening. So that's your cervical smear test. PSA, that's for all men over the age of 50 years old. Mammogram, and um, that's for all ladies um, age over 47 um, in line with the NHS breast screening um, program. So that one, your GP should, when you get to that age, it should invite you to have this done. And then we um, can request this, the results from the GP. We also encourage you to have the faecal um, occult blood. That's the poo test. The, the
0: what, poo. what test?
1: Poo. Poo, poo test. Poo. <laughs> <laughs> Check, it. Check your poo. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, for any um bowel cancer screenings. I said the pupa test. <laughs> That's a bowel cancer screening test. And that one is for everyone over the age of um 60 years old. If you don't have this done, that wouldn't stop you going on to the transplant waiting list. Because what we found in the past is we encourage you to go and have this done. And if you weren't being worked up, maybe they wouldn't have found out, say, you had breast cancer. Right. So, you know, if there is any abnormalities during your workup, and a lot of people would not have known that they have certain underlying health problems if we hadn't been doing this process of working them up. And maybe we by doing this, we've identified early so they can get the appropriate treatment that they need. But if, as I said before, if you decide that you don't want to have it done or you you haven't had it done, that still would not stop you from going. It's just that we encourage you to do the cancer screening if it's appropriate for your um, age group. And then once you've completed all these workup tests that we've requested, if it's all straightforward and we don't need to refer you to, say, another team, so it's a one of your um, cardiac scans came up abnormal, we would need to refer you to the cardiologist to do their own investigation. And this is where your transplant workup can get delayed because we will need to have clearance from, say, the cardiology department to say that they've done their investigation and they're happy for you to proceed. So once we've got that documentation from the cardiologist, that clearance, then we will continue with the process. So once you've completed your workup test, we will book you in to see one of our transplant surgeons, and there we will do the assessment. They will go through all the risk with you of transplantation. They will also um, discuss with you the different kind of offers that you can have donor offers. So, for instance, they could discuss with you would you be willing to accept a kidney from a donor who had, say, high risk behavior, such as an IVD user or drug user? Because there's a possibility that, you know, this donor could have contracted an infection whilst injecting. And at the time of transplantation, We may not have this information, but later on it might come back to say this patient contracted, say, HIV during the time of you know doing the IVD drugs. So it's not all the information with donors might be available on the day. But if you was to say no, I would not want to take an organ from such donors, then If you were to be listed, matched to such a donor, then we would know to actually turn this offer down based on that.
0: So I'm quite surprised to hear that. So isn't there a way of screening the organ before transplantation? They
1: they do, they do. But so when they screen the donors, they do screen virology for the donors. But with, say, something like, um, say, HIV, it might not show up straight away. It might show up, say, it's negative, And then you retest in, say, two, three weeks' time and you get a positive. Because at the time, the infection is not showing up on that day. So suppose they contracted it the day they died. It would not show up in their system. Wow. We can do... Um, it's a thing, it's called a NAT testing where we can, um, we'll send the samples off to our um, virologist. who can do that testing. It does take a good couple of hours to get the results back. And remember, you want to transplant the kidney as quickly as possible. So if the kidney is already out of the body and you need to do this test, you know the ischemic time for this kidney is going to be longer which can delay the kidney from working straight away. It might come to a point where it's too late to use the kidney because you, there's, you've got certain amount of hours before you can um, use these kidneys.
0: So that's a, a big decision then, really, because... Yeah,
1: so they go into in-depth details about the kind of donor offers that... Or, 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 you know, they might ask you, are you willing to accept a, a donor that may have cancer so you know if you're not willing to accept these high risk donors then that will be documented you have that choice to say yes or no so once the recipient has seen the um, the surgeon in the transplant surgical clinic if the surgeon is happy and the nephrologist is happy and the patient's happy then we can start the process of registering them onto the waiting list So there's a form to complete, and this takes maybe about 5-10 minutes to complete. And then we wait for a response from the clinical transplant lab to say this patient is now active on the waiting list. If there's any concerns when the um, recipient has seen the surgeon in clinic, they might be referred to our um, multidisciplinary meeting. So there you have a variety of surgeons, nephrologists. Sometimes you have the psychologist there, the anesthetics, the cardiologist. You know, there's a different um, members of the team that will be in this meeting to discuss this case. It depends how complex you are. And then if they're in agreement to say yes, then we will proceed with registering. If not, and they've got concerns, then, you know, the The nephrologist will come back to you and say, you know, these are the concerns about suitability to go onto the waiting list. But in terms of being activated, once we get the confirmation that you're activated on the waiting list, we will give the patient a call and let them know that they're on, um, they're now active on the waiting list. We do discuss with them about making sure that, you know, their phone is always available because they can receive a call anytime. It could be early hours of the morning. It could be late at night. It could be in the afternoon. You just don't know when an offer will become available. So we always encourage them to make sure that your phone is always on and up to date. If you change your contact details, let your coordinators know so that they can update the system because the last thing you want is for you to um, be matched to um, a potential donor. And because we do not have that contact details of you, um, you would have missed out on the opportunity of being transplanted. Another thing we do encourage, if you become unwell, or say you, you went into hospital, and you know if you've got access to your mobile and you can still call, your coordinator, let them know that you're not well, even if it's at home. Because if I was to call you up in the middle of the night and say I have a potential offer for you, or day, whenever, and you're not well, the, the transplant will not proceed. But they, you can't transplant someone who is, say, actively have an infection. So it's, you, you need to let us know so that we can temporarily suspend you from the waiting list and then once you're better, you get reactivated. you know we just want to make sure that it's safe for you to be transplanted.
0: Would that um, include things like a cold or a flu?
1: So a cold it depends if it's um if, say you have a chest infection with uh, like a common cold, that should be fine. but um say if you have a bad chest infection, then no, it wouldn't be um suitable. We also ask if you tend to travel abroad whilst you're on the waiting list to let us know because, again, we will need to suspend you off the waiting list. If you have dialysis abroad, they will need to do a virology surveillance when you return your dialysis unit. So you wouldn't be reactivated straight away if you were to have dialysis abroad. It will take about two to three months. Really? Yes to get you, um, get you back on the waiting list. We do say to everyone, wherever your, your transplant centre is, which hospital you're, you're with, if you're travelling say anywhere far away, that's a good couple of hours. You need to have a plan in place of how to get back to that hospital if you were to be called in, say in the middle of the night where public transport is not available. Because times have changed and, you know, every centre's got their own policies on how they are um, dealing with, you know, the COVID issues. A lot of them encourage patients not to take public transport. um, And if you have to, to make sure that you have a mask. But, you know, if you're called in, we do encourage you to maybe take a taxi or make someone from your home drive you in. Again, we encourage everyone to continue following the government guidance on keeping safe during this COVID pandemic that we are going through. And, you know, because things change on a daily basis, you know, we just have to watch and see how COVID is behaving. Because there's one point where you could have your visitors come into the hospital with you and, you know, someone might be able to wait until you go down to theater. A lot of these things have changed and, you know, visitors is not allowed in um, to the hospital anymore. So, you know, you just need to bear that in mind that your loved ones may not be able to come and visit you or maybe come with you to the hospital when you are called in. We say on average for when you're activated on the waiting list, your waiting time is about two years. But, you know, it varies with everyone. You know, I was going back to the blood test. One of the blood tests that we check is your antibodies. So we check to see how highly sensitized you are. So you find people who's highly sensitized. So this is where they have a lot of antibodies in their body. The more highly sensitized you are, the more difficult it would be to match you. To a donor, so patients who had, say, previous transplant would have um, built up these antibodies from the the transplanted um, kidney. Women who had children would have got these antibodies. If you've had, say, a blood transfusion, there's some sports that you could acquire these antibodies. By doing these certain sports, really, um, yeah. <laughs> that one that one was a bit of a shock to me as well. Like seriously, what, what I sport them, would that I be? Them, I think one of them was boxing or wrestling. Okay. Yeah. um Yeah. So, if you're, um, say, you're sensitized, say they do it out of hundred mm-hmm. percent. So, if you're highly sensitized, say you're hundred percent, and your matchability score is between. Zero to ten. So, if your matchability score is ten, that means you're difficult to match, and you've got hundred percent antibodies. Your waiting time could be about seven years, or or you might you wait many many years. So, that's where living donation could be your best option to optimize transplantation for you. So, you know, but on average. It's about two years. If you're not transplanted within these two years, all your workup tests that you've done, they will need to be refreshed. And you will need to see a transplant surgeon annually if you're not transplanted. I have um, registered patients onto the waiting list, say Monday, sometime by Thursday, they get a call. So you just don't know. It can be very quick, like it can be very long. And what I do find is that a lot of patients, they listen to other people in their dialysis units. And sometimes they might see someone, they might be on dialysis for many years, and they see someone just started dialysis, and they've been transplanted. You need to remember that everyone is different, everyone' case is different. So don't be disheartened if you see this going on, because you just don't know the complexity of someone else someone's medical condition and you know the dialysis um, patients they're like a community you know and, and they do talk and it's nice but you know sometimes you, you see these things and you might be disheartened that you've been waiting for many many years and you see all your dialysis family I say being transplanted before you but don't be disheartened by that because you just don't know the in-depth of someone's medical
0: condition. From what you've described, there are so many factors that are involved in making the decision whether a transplant is going to be possible for someone. So I can imagine, like you said, if you've got a group of people together and people are getting transplanted one after the other and you're thinking, why isn't this happening to me? But like you've described, there's so many factors that are involved and tests and things that need to be considered before you're able to actually get the transplant. Exactly. So, and
1: even if you have, uh, because there's some people, they've got high BMI, you might need to lose weight before you can even be considered for transplantation.
0: That was actually going to be my next question. I don't know
1: next question. Yeah, <laughs> I was
0: going to ask you, do you have to be a certain weight and BMI to have a transplant?
1: So ideally, they would want your BMI to be less than 30.
0: Ideally.
1: Right. There is a um, high BMI clinic that you can attend to see a, a surgeon who specializes in this group of patients with high BMI. And, you know, sometimes they can be considered if it's over 30, because sometimes, you know, structurally, we, um, we are built a bit different. Yes. So I might have a BMI of, say, 34, but my abdomen is completely flat.
0: Yes, and also bodybuilders as well. I mean, exactly. Technically, because they're yeah. so heavy because of the muscle, exactly. they technically will come up as being clinically obese, but actually it's, it's solid muscle, muscle, which weighs exactly. more.
1: So sometimes it's good to actually just observe these patients and see. But if you do need to lose weight, there is referral that we could do, such as, you know, refer you to like a dietitian or say a scale clinic. To help you try and lose the weight, but it's good for the healing as well post transplant, because if you've got a lot of fat around the abdomen, remember the surgeon is going to have the incision is going to be quite deep, so that's going to make the the healing process longer and even more complicated. Right. So it's it's better off for you in the long run, health wise as well. It's better for you, but you know the healing process of um, recovery it will be better for you. You reduce your risk significantly by being a healthy weight. So we do encourage people to lose weight if needed and to try and maintain you know, a healthy diet. What I do always say to um, um, my patients, to remember that transplantation is not a cure.
0: Yes,
1: It's a treatment. Because if the transplant was to fail, you will still have the disease that caused your kidney failure in the first place. And it will come back and you will still need to be go on to dialysis. So it's just that it's the, they they say it's the best treatment for kidney disease, a transplantation. It gives you more of that freedom of life away from dialysis. You could, um, you know, patients who's on dialysis they're on this fluid restriction you know they're on a dietary restriction so you know you, you've got that more freedom to live quite a normal life as you was previously so you know hence why they say it is the best treatment and you know transplantation is not suitable for everyone mm-hmm. um and that's another thing that we need to um understand as well
0: so who would transplantation not be suitable for
1: Um. It depends. So some people might think age but um, no, because you could have a very fit 75 year old. That okay. yeah, do you understand? I yeah. think it based on patients' choice, it might be based on their extensive medical history. It's a lot of different things. And the more complex you are, you might not be suitable. But you might not be suitable for that period of time. It's not saying that in the future you wouldn't be suitable. It's just that, you know, at this time with everything that's happening with you in regards to your health or maybe socially, you might not be
0: suitable. You mentioned about having the choice of a high risk donor in terms of the kidney itself
1: Mm -hmm. and making
0: the decision whether you want to go with that option or choose a healthy donor, want of a better way of phrasing it. But what about somebody who actually has HIV themselves? Would they be suitable for transplantation?
1: Yes. So one of the causes that can cause kidney failure is HIV. And they will have the same options as anyone else in terms of the kind of options available to them, they could be offered, and this is something that will be discussed with them during their consultation. They could accept, and they don't have to, but they could accept, would they be willing to accept somebody that is an HIV-positive donor? So you could actually do HIV donor to HIV recipient. Right. Yeah, but they will still have that option if they want to, yes or no. It's all about the patient's choice.
0: So, for somebody who is looking at preemptive transplantation, would the workup process be the same? Yes,
1: yes. Um, the only difference is if they wanted to start doing their transplant workup when their kidney function became, say, 20%, that so we could start that to optimize um, preemptive um, transplantation. They will go through the same workup test and the same process as someone who's going on to the deceased donor waiting list. The only difference is, say you have a living donor, you would need to wait for your donor to have completed their workup. We could actually list you on the deceased donor waiting list whilst you're waiting for your donor to complete their workup. And then when a transplant date is set, then we can suspend you from that waiting list. And, you know, being on the deceased donor waiting list, you could potentially get a living donor transplant through that. Because there's a national kidney sharing scheme that they do. They do it four times a year. And this is where you have like altruistic donors. So these are um, living donors who have come forward to donate one of their kidneys to somebody on the deceased donor waiting list. So there's like pairs that go into it. So yeah, I had a a donor who was incompatible. Me and my donor could go into the the sharing scheme and another group of, um, so it's like different sets of donors and recipients enter into this run, where they do four times for the year. And you can be matched, um, a donor, or maybe not. But through these matching, somebody on the deceased donor waiting list could be matched to a living donor. So, you know, being on the deceased donor waiting list, there is that chance of you getting a living donor transplantation. So there's that option as well.
0: So that obviously increases the opportunity and chances of getting a transplant earlier and not having to wait as long. Exactly,
1: yes. And we do, for the preemptive patients, we do try to get them listed. um, So it's to increase their chance of getting transplanted before they actually go on to dialysis. Because overall it's better for them. But, you know, there might be the chance that, you know, where you've been waiting for a while, by the time you've been waiting, your kidney function has started to decline to the point that you do need dialysis. So, if you know if you've got um, a potential donor, it's good to let your nephrologist know so that they can give the contact details for the living donor teams, so the donor can make contact because the recipient cannot make contact with yeah. um, the living donor team about starting workup for a potential donor living donor it all has to come from the the donor themselves right and then they have their necessary tests that they will need to complete
0: as well so is there anything that as patients they can do to make the process easier or you know, to help the process along? Is there any kind of do's or don'ts for them to avoid that would mm-hmm. exclude them from transplantation? Compliance.
1: Compliance is one of the big things. Make sure that you're taking your medications. Make sure that you're dialyzing when you're supposed to. You're having your regular dialysis. When you do get these appointments for your transplant and workup, attend them because if you don't turn up to one of them they will have to reschedule again and it can take months for you to get a next appointment so you're delaying your workup by not attending your appointments so we do ask everyone if you can't make it call up the department because we request a test but it would be the department that you're having these tests will be doing the bookings and when you do get the appointments you get all the information as well Give them a call to let them know that, you know, you cannot make this date and they can rearrange a next um, suitable date for you. But if you don't turn up, um, it causes great delay. And where we could have worked up in a, a considerable quick amount of time, it will take months and months and months as well. And a lot of people I find, they think that they don't need to attend say the education session. Everyone needs to attend the education session. Because, it, you know, the test that's been put in place, they're mandatory. And if you don't complete the test required of you, then you can't proceed. So not because you've had one done or this one done means that, you know, you could squeeze through and go see a surgeon. Because if you hadn't had one of the tests done and you got through to see a surgeon, the first thing he's going to do is say, OK, you need to go back and get this one done, you right. know? and it's also about keeping yourself as healthy as you can you know you need to pay your part as well keep yourself as fit as you can I know it especially after dialysis it can be very very you know you're you're drained out you're you're wiped out but you know even if it's doing a simple 10-15 minutes a walk a day try and do something active to keep yourself active as you can sticking to you know the dietary requirements that you know the dietitian has discussed with you. You know, just keeping yourself well as possible as you can. And you know, that's that's all we can ask of you. But, you know, it's just about keeping yourself well. And you know, the greatest thing is there's some people think that dialysis is the end. That's it for them. And they get, and you know, even transplantation, it's like they can't see beyond these barriers. I've seen a lot of, you know, families, they've started family post-transplant, you know. So as long as you are doing what is expected and, you know, discussing anything with your team, even when you've had your transplant, any new medication that you're going to start, make sure you discuss that with your team first before starting, especially herbal medicines and things like that, because these things can have an impact on your other medications, because you know some certain medications, they don't work good together. With the when you, you do get transplanted, you know, you're gonna be on these immunosuppressant medications for life. And it's not, it's not the sort of medication that you can say, oh I'll take it later or oh I can't be bothered to take it today. It will have an effect on the lifespan of your transplanted kidney. So I, I just encourage everyone to, you know, make sure that you're taking your medications on time and, you know, don't miss any doses. And for you, the dialysis patients who haven't been transplanted as yet, make sure that you, you turn up for dialysis and dialyze properly. Have your regular dialysis. If it's three, four hours you're supposed to do, complete those hours. Make sure that you, you've got your proper dialyze. Keep it fit and eating well, following your fluid restrictions. It's easy for me to say, you know, you need to do X, Y, Z, but, you know, I'm not in their shoes. And I can emphasize how difficult that can be. But all you can do is try your best to do what you can to help yourself. And, you know, that's all we can ask of you, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. So do you have a final word of encouragement for someone listening who is getting to that point of, needing a transplant and is at the beginning of that process who might be feeling a bit scared and apprehensive what word of encouragement would you like to give that person
1: um what I would like to say to them it's natural to feel scared it's natural it's the unknown a transplant is not a walk in the park it's a big operation and you need as much information about it as you can and knowledge to know what you're putting yourself forward for, as they do say, yes, it is the best treatment for um, kidney disease, but you need to make sure it's the best treatment for you, and it will always revert back to is what is best for you. So if you think transplantation is not for you, then your choice has to be respected. But if you choose to go down the route of transplantation, any queries or concerns that you have, discuss it with your team. They're there to to guide you through this pathway. And, you know, you're going to have, once you leave um, one team, you go into another team. So you you will see the recipient coordinators before your transplantation. But post-transplant, you're going to go to a different team who's going to be taking care of you. Post transplant, so you've always got people there to support you. There is groups around that you can join, who's um, like the the peer support. I think each hospital has their peer support. You know, um, contact them, speak to them. You know, they support everywhere for you, and you're not alone in this journey. So I would just say, um, just make sure that it's any choice that you do make is the right choice for you and not for anyone else.
0: Thank you so much for joining me today and for explaining this very complicated and extensive process of working up for the transplant. So thank you for your time and thank you for sharing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle diary of a kidney warrior please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend new episodes of this podcast are released every other monday until next time take care and choose to live diary of a kidney warrior sharing faith knowledge hope and love